0: Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we come to our time of study of his word this morning. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship. We've, uh, we live busy lives, and this time of the year is probably worse than, uh, than any other time for hecticness and for running around and for trying to, to get things done. Father, at times we, uh, we get so busy, we neglect to spend time with you we forget that uh, you are the source of our joy and our strength. You have given us life through your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we, uh, we pray that as we pause now this morning, as we are quiet before you and your word, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach us. Father, we pray that your word would be powerful in our hearts this morning. We are Uh, Perhaps tempted to be thinking about the last week or or what has to be done next week Lord, I pray that you would through the power of your holy spirit. Just help us to set all that aside And to consider your truth this morning and how it applies to our lives lord my words are really uh, Just not important They are only man's words. It is only your eternal word that uh, Will make a difference in our lives. So we pray that you would come lord jesus that you would teach us Father, forgive me my sin, don't let me stand in the way of what you want your people to know about your truth, about your character, about your compassion this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. On September 30th, 1938, uh, Neville Chamberlain returned to England from a visit that he had been making in uh, Germany. He had been meeting with Hitler and with his Nazi party trying to figure out a way to, to bring peace To England to bring peace to Europe. And on that uh, September day as he landed, uh, he held up a a piece of paper, a document that had been signed by himself and Hitler, uh, that he was quite confident would bring peace for our time. I want to read you just a a quick paragraph out of his uh, fuller statement uh, that he's read on that particular day. Chamberlain said, The settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is, in my view, only a prelude to the larger settlement in which all of Europe may find peace. This morning I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler, and in and here in this paper, which bears his name upon it as well as mine, some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, and then he reads the agreement. We regard this agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of a desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again. Then later that day, day he stood outside of number 10 Downing Street and again read from that document and this is his concluding statement later in the day. My good friends, this is the second time in our history that there has come back from Germany to Downing Street peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts and now I recommend you to go home and to sleep quietly in your beds. Believing a lie can be disastrous. Not just from the context of a global scale, not just in the events of world history, but on a personal level, believing a lie can lead to disaster. Think about if you've ever been in a relation with someone who turned out to be untruthful, who didn't, who didn't uh, be, wasn't forthright with you, covered up the truth, maybe about their past, maybe about their present activities. Remember how your trust was violated and how that was so destructive in that relationship. Think about if you've ever been in a business deal And you were with a partner that you thought you could trust, or you were with a company that you thought cared about you, only to find that you'd been shown to the door, or in some way, you'd been swindled. Believing a lie is costly. It brings about an oppressive silence of disappointment, of emotional pain, of betrayal, and disillusionment. But humanity lives in the shadow of an even bigger lie this morning. In fact, the biggest lie ever told, and the ramifications of this lie are boundless. They're awful beyond descriptions. The confounding part about this, however, is that this lie has been exposed. You and I, probably most of us, if not all of us, know the truth. And yet, for whatever reason, even disciples of Jesus from time to time persist in living as if the lie were true. As if, somehow, if we just kept pressing on, everything would turn out okay. And the question I have is, how can this possibly be? I mean, if, if I really know the truth, I'd like to think that I'm bright enough, that I'm smart enough, that I've got enough common sense Uh, That if somebody shows me the raw data, if somebody gives me the right information, I'll make the right decision. Uh, We talk a lot, those of us that are involved in leadership, about, about being able to gather the right information in order to be able to make the right decision. Friends, the right information has been in front of us for thousands of years and we continue to live as if the lie were true. My question this morning for us is, is there any hope that we can actually see the falsehood for what it is and embrace the truth? Well, what is the lie exactly? I'm going to put two statements on the screen this morning. One is from God, and one is from Satan, uh, and they're out of Genesis. And I'm not going to put the passage on the screen. I am going to read it for you in just a moment. But I want you to be listening for these two phrases out of Genesis chapter two, uh, and then a few verses out of Genesis chapter three. It says this in Genesis two, starting in verse seven. Then the Lord God formed the man, formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the middle of the garden and also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down to verse 15, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat for the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But God said to us, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. God said to, to to mankind, our original parents, as he put them in paradise and he put them in a perfect relationship with him, trust me, follow me, but here's the command, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die if you do that. That's a truth statement, that's a claim. Satan comes along afterwards and, and says to Eve, did God really say that? And he tries to confuse her and he tries to lead her down the wrong path. And she tries to kind of defend herself and explain what god says and then satan comes back and says you will surely not die Now friends both of those statements can't be true at the same time. One's a lie and one's truth You can't have two polar opposites be true At the same moment One is accurate. The other is a lie Both offer a promise. God says Uh to uh to his children I love you. I care for you. I've given you life Follow me, trust me in this command, and we will live in fellowship and in harmony together. Satan says, God is mean-spirited. He doesn't really care about you. He's oppressing you. He's denying you the glory that you deserve. Rebel, throw off your shackles and live. I would suggest that uh, W.E. Henley's poem Invictus speaks to this idea of uh, getting God out of your life and becoming God to yourself. He writes in his four refrain, brief poem, Out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance I have not winched nor cried aloud under the bludgeoning of chance. My head is bloody but unbowed. The lie says, in fact, God is out to get you. Throw off the shackles and you will live. Well, which one of these is the truth? Which one of these offers an honest reality of the world in which it was in the world as we know it today? Do we really need to debate the answer to that question? History is rife with the fact that God spoke the truth and Satan was the liar. If we look at the world around us, if you if you look at, and we're going to come back to uh, to Chamberlain's situation, we're talking a little bit about uh, Churchill and the Germans, and we're going to kind of touch on that as we go through the sermon. But not, you don't have to just go to the 20th century, you can go to ancient history, you can see where death has affected mankind ever since that fateful day in the garden. God was true to his word. God was the one that offered the reality and we don't need a study in history to know that, that that's accurate I was look, listening to the news earlier this week and and maybe you uh, Have followed this story a bit and I haven't looked at it in the last 24 hours I don't know if anything's changed But the the three young skelton brothers up in that small town in michigan Who've disappeared they have I don't know if they found them yet as of yesterday afternoon They hadn't found them and who's been arrested their father? How do you live in a world where there's a really good chance that a father murdered his children and think that God is trying to oppress us and harm us and he isn't speaking the truth into our lives? Friends, it is undebatable whether you believe in the existence of God or you don't believe in the existence of God. Whether you whether you trust Jesus or or you don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, and you're here because a friend bought you, and you just wanted to be polite to them this morning. The facts are: is we live in a broken world that is filled with death, and man has not, and cannot, and will not find a solution to that problem. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter five, which we're going to get. We're going to get back to our study in Romans, the first of the year. Answer the question, who was honest, Satan or God? Paul just looks at the world around him and and understands the truth. Therefore, just as sin came into the world, sin being me saying, I don't need God, I don't want God. If you want a definition for sin, it's about that simple. It came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death has spread to all men because all have sinned. Satan's lie and, and man's belief that this lie is actually the truth Distorts every aspect of our lives It invades every part of our being. There's no human relationship that is void of the impact of this lie Jesus when he when he came to earth, you know a lot of times people say to me and I've thought this myself, too you know if I had just been here when jesus was here physically You know, if I had just been able to hang out with him, you know, kind of walk around the Sea of Galilee and watch all the fish get caught and watch the 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 lame people stand up and walk and and maybe be in the crowd that got fed, you know, the the loaves and the fishes and the 5,000. Maybe I had a friend who was sick and Jesus, you know, maybe I had a blind friend and my blind friend was healed. If I had just seen all that, if I had just been there, then then I would certainly have believed in Jesus. The lie would not have distorted distorted my perception of him. John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a group of people who have seen all of this. And then some and he says this. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear To hear my word You are of your father the devil by the way, he's talking to a bunch of pastors He's talking to a bunch of preachers in this conversation. Okay, he's not talking to to common folk He's talking to guys who are theologically trained. Okay You are of your father the devil And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning it has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. when he lies He speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies You play that out into every aspect of your life and it's true That this believing this lie believing that we should we would be better off apart from god We can actually become a god our, ourselves. We can be the master of our of our faith the captain of our of our soul It harms and it infiltrates everything our relationships Our health, our intellect, our ability to think, our our ability to determine priorities, uh, our faith. All of this is impacted. Every one of us is a victim of the lie. And and I I hate to be the one to give you the bad news this morning if you don't already know it, but every one of us is also a perpetrator of the lie. Every time I I systematically decide I know what God's Word is, but I'm going to go a different way, I perpetuate the lie. Got in an argument with Cindy this week. Not not a big one. And you know, we're empty nesters now, which is a lot of fun, and we solve stuff a whole lot quicker than we used to. God, God's given us a lot of grace in our lives, and it's and it's been this fall has been a lot of fun with uh with my bride. Just starting to get to know one another again. We got in an argument the other day, and I said something really mean to her. I perpetuated the lie. I lived as if God didn't matter. I was in control, I was running things, I was going to be the master. And that happens to every one of us. The question is, is there any hope that this truth can be restored in our lives? Last week, Tom Warner preached a masterful sermon. If you, if you weren't here last Sunday, I wasn't here, but I, I, I listened to it on our podcast, on our website. If you haven't listened to that sermon, you need to listen to it. It's a phenomenal sermon on the question of, of redemption. And Tom said that we can be redeemed from the power of sin. And it's that hope upon which I stand this morning. Let me give you just a few other uh, verses from John. Uh, Jesus is speaking and he says this. He said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Some of us may think that, that, that Harvard came up with that phrase. It's over the, the gate as you go into the, the, the courtyard there at Harvard. But Jesus is actually the author and he ties it to knowing him. If you abide in my word, if you know my word, my truth, you're my disciples, and that truth will set you free. He also says in John chapter 14, the following, Jesus said to Thomas, who who said, Lord, where are you going and how can we follow you? Jesus answers and he said, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Later on, one of the disciples who had been at that dinner, uh, John the Apostle, wrote uh, several years later to some of his friends. He said this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There is great promise here, friends. And the promise comes from the one who has been truthful from the beginning, when, when God said to Adam, if you stay in the garden and you, and you follow me and obey me, you will live in paradise, that was true. But sometime later, Adam abandoned that truth for a lie, and, when, and God said you would die, and that's exactly what happened. And the truth teller is saying to us, I've come to destroy the works of Satan. I've come that you may have life. I've come to show you the truth, to put your faith and your trust in me. And friends, that's what Advent is all about, God restoring truth. God's saving us from the ramifications of the lie, which are sin and death and judgment. But I also will be quick to say this. This is truth, but it is a hard truth. It is a confrontational truth because it doesn't say, you're okay, I'm okay. God doesn't come and pat us on the head and say, don't worry, you're really a whole lot better off than you think. God comes into our lives and he tells us some very hard things about ourselves and about our character, which, quite frankly, we would like to reject. We'd like to think we could pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We'd like to think we're good enough that God will like us enough to let us into heaven if there is one. And, friends, we continue to shift back into the lie. But God gives us the truth and says there is a Savior, there is a gracious one, but it means that I must admit my error. It means that I must abandon the lie. I must acknowledge my sin, my need for a Savior, and that Jesus is the only means by which I'm going to experience that redemption. I said I was going to come back to the, uh, the question of the beginning of the Second World War and Chamberlain's comments. I'm going to read for you an excerpt out of um, Churchill's speech on October the 5th, five days later. This quote is a little bit longer, but you will get the point as I go through. Churchill is is listening to Chamberlain say, we've accomplished peace, and this is his response on the floor of Parliament, uh, excerpts from it. I will begin by saying the most unpopular and most unwelcome thing. I will begin by saying what everybody would like to ignore or forget, but which I must nevertheless state, namely that we have sustained a total and unmitigated defeat and that France has suffered even more than we have. And here he pauses, on Lady Astor, who was his political nemesis, and, and on the floor of Parliament, uh, they can shout out during speeches. If you ever, wa- I watch it on the on the political channel every once in a while. It's really cool to watch those guys debate with each other. But at this point, Lady Astor cries out, "Nonsense!" To which Churchill says, "When the noble lady cries nonsense, she could not have heard the Chancellor of the Exchequer admit." In his illuminating and comprehensive speech just now that Herr Hitler has gained in this particular leap forward, in substance, all he set out to gain. We are in the presence of disaster. A disaster of the first magnitude, which has befallen Great Britain and France. Do not let us be, do not let us blind ourselves to that. It must now be accepted that all the countries of Central and Eastern Europe will make the best terms they can with the triumphant Nazi power. The system of alliances in Central Europe, upon which France has relied for her safety, has been swept away, and I can see no means by which it can be reconstituted. In fact, if not in form, it seems to me that all those countries in Middle Europe will one after another be drawn into this vast system of power radiating from Berlin, and I believe that this can be achieved quite smoothly and swiftly and with not necessarily entail firing a single shot. I do not grudge our loyal, brave people who are ready to do their duty, no matter what the cost, who never flinched under the strain of last week. I do not grudge them the natural, spontaneous outburst of joy and relief when they learned that the hard ordeal would no longer be required of them at the moment. But they should know the truth. They should know that there have been gross ne- neglect and deficiency in our defenses. They should know that we have sustained a defeat without a war the consequences of which will travel far with us along our road, they should know that we have passed an awful milestone in our history. When the whole equilibrium of Europe has been deranged and that the terrible words have for the time being been pronounced against Western democracies, and here he quotes scripture, thou art weighed in the balance and found wanting, And do not suppose that this is the end. It is only the beginning of the reckoning. This is only the first step, the first foretaste of a bitter cup, which will be profited to us year by year, unless by supreme recovery of moral health and marital vigor we arise again to take our stand for freedom as in the olden times. That was a pretty long quote, but it makes the point. Somebody had to stand up and say it. Somebody had to call out what was really going on. And we have two options before us this morning in response to God saying, turn from the lie. Don't believe it. Put your trust and your hope in me. The silence of this lie is deafening, but you can be set free from us. We have two options. The first is we can can be the lady asters and we can cry out nonsense. And we can bury our head in the sand when confronted with the spiritual truth of our real condition, and we continue, and we can continue to live in the lie. Or we can humbly and with joy filled hearts embrace the truth that through Christ Jesus we can have life freed from the power of the lie. Remember what Jesus said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am your hope. Friends, I know believing the truth can be tough. I know it means admitting I'm a sinner. I don't like to admit I'm a sinner. I'm like you to think that I'm a really, really good guy that never makes mistakes, that never does anything wrong, that's the perfect husband. It's a picture of virtue with his children, that I've never mismanaged any of my money ever, that I've always thought the right things. I've always said the right things. I never make any mistakes, but that would be believing the lie. Believing the truth is tough because I have to admit my need. Like C.S. Lewis said, I've come to Christ, but I've come kicking and screaming. Why? Because that pride is so deeply embedded. The lie is so deeply embedded in our lives. But you know what? Believing the lie is much more costly than believing the truth. You know, the practical reality was that Churchill was right. Eventually, England, the United States, and Russia formed an alliance, uh, and they defeated Hitler and the Axis. But at what price? (laughs) at what price? little small piece of history that, that maybe you don't know about has gone somewhat unnoticed. In August of 1938, just a month before Chamberlain uh, went to try to, to to broker this peace deal, which never really worked when Hitler lied to his face, the chief of the staff of the German army, uh, along with the police chief uh, in Berlin and the head of German intelligence, knew that Hitler was planning on invading Czechoslovakia, knew that he was going to thrust the German people into the second world war which they could never win and they'd ultimately be defeated they gathered with a small group of generals and they sent a secret envoy to england and they said hitler's going to try to press you to stay out of europe but stand firm be strong don't give in on this czechoslovakian issue let hitler know if he makes one move in that direction that you will invade and our plan is this We will arrest him the moment he invades Czechoslovakia. We have the plan all worked out. But the British intelligence system didn't take them seriously. And we can only surmise how many people would have been spared if at that moment they had believed the truth instead of the lie. You see, there's collateral damage when we believe the lie. (laughs) It doesn't just affect you. You believing the lie and you living out that belief and, and me doing the same impacts the people around us. It causes damage in our family relationships. It causes damage in the way we interact with one another. It separates us from our God. It, it makes us as orphans instead of children. And Tom talked so beautifully last week about how God has come that we might become the children of God, sons and daughters of God. We, we may be Hurt our pride a bit By embracing the truth but denying god's grace. We harm ourselves and others Willful rejection of god leads to willful sin and that brings great harm But conversely friends this morning there is good news that believing the truth brings life God's power to save is also the power to transform our lives. The truth of the gospel not only saves our souls, but it convicts us of our sinful patterns. And it brings repentance and it restores the truth into our lives and it allows us to live lives that honor God and nurture and care for and build up one another. So what do you think it'll be this morning? The truth or a lie? Let's pray.